Welcome to Ariana Answers. I'm Dr. Ariana Brandolini, a clinical psychologist who lives in New York City. Every week, I answer a life question submitted by a listener like you. In the second season of my podcast, I want to unpack anxiety around situations in life we find ourselves in. Each episode will have two parts. One where I break down the situational anxiety we experience, and the other where I have an expert in the field give us some advice. Would you like your question answered? Head over to the description of this video to submit. Now, let's jump into this week's episode. Never assume that you know what the other person is thinking. Clarify always. Dear Dr. Ariana, I'm finally in a relationship with a wonderful man and I see us going all the way, but I think I'm on the brink of ruining it. Recently, stupid little things will set me off and we'll have these intense fights that will go round and round and get us nowhere. My guy is losing patience. I think he's wonderful, truly a good human, but I've been wrong before. What if I'm missing something or not seeing something? I really don't wanna go back to dating. Dating sucks. I hate the games, the fear of things not working out. Erg, help. Man, relationships are so hard. Any issue or insecurity will be exponentially magnified when we're dating or in relationship with other people. It can be intensely scary and painful at times, but it can also be beautiful and transformative if we choose to use our experiences as opportunities to learn and grow. So most of us without realizing it, follow certain patterns in our relationships. Some of these patterns tend to be unhealthy and unhelpful. So the way that we can overcome some of these things and actually begin to choose to behave differently is when we examine old patterns and start to become aware of what they look like and how they're affecting our current relationships. Psychological research shows that there are several different factors that contribute towards our tendency to repeat destructive behavior patterns in relationships, right? Why do we do this? Some of, the, some of the reasons are we repeat what's familiar. Even though certain things might be dysfunctional and not working well for us, we repeat things because they feel familiar and we know what to expect from them, right? Everyone's heard the term, better the devil you know than the devil you don't. We also repeat what we learned as children. Season one, I talked about attachment style. So if you haven't listened to it, go check it out. The beliefs, coping skills, and behavior patterns that we learned in childhood become ingrained because we learn these things when our brains are still growing, right? Our brains are vulnerable to whatever we go through because they're really plastic, right? They're forming. So when we learn these things and then we rehearse them for years with subsequent relationships, they become automatic and ingrained in how we relate to other people. We repeat what was traumatizing in a conscious effort to gain mastery over it. If you felt unloved or rejected or powerless as a child or even in formative relationships after this, you are gonna try to deliver a different outcome. But oftentimes what happens is that we end up in relationships with the same kind of people who perpetuated those things in the first place. And so the pattern keeps repeating itself. We recreate experiences where you feel similarly in an unconscious effort to change the outcome and thereby heal ourselves, okay? So 
For example, trying to find love and acceptance from somebody that we care about or trying to feel in control when we felt out of control. We believe we deserve to suffer. Kids who are traumatized are often told that they're bad and that they deserve it or that they're the reason why their parents are having issues or that there's problems in their families. Even if we aren't directly blamed, we often internalize all of that shame in our family and we often blame ourselves. So when our self-esteem is eroded and we end up believing that we deserve emotional pain, we often have failed relationships in adulthood, right? I'm sure you guys might've heard the term, we accept the love we believe we deserve. So what makes all of this harder is that we often repeat unhealthy patterns unconsciously. As many of these interactions and, and the way that we react to others happen unconsciously outside of our awareness. So neuroscience research shows that significant relationships and experiences in our lives can imprint unconscious memories in our brain. Memories that can be triggered later in life and lead to certain feelings and behaviors that we don't even realize is going on. So this can look like ongoing patterns, but also specific incidents that bring about unexpected feelings that seem like they're out of the blue and we act out of that, right? then keeping on going with the unhealthy behavior that we've been doing. I've heard it said, we repeat what we do not repair. We repeat what we do not repair. What it all means is that even though these patterns can influence our lives at times, they actually can be changed. The first step is paying attention to clues and building awareness so that we can learn new ways of doing things. So in the aftermath of one of these triggers or after a breakup or even a divorce or a big fight and you're finding yourself, why do I keep doing this thing? Why does this thing, this thing keep on happening? I want you to sit down, take out your journal, love a good journal and ask yourself these questions and really think about it. What was your role in the relationship? Were there issues that kept popping up again and again? What were the typical interactions with this person that made you feel uncomfortable? What did those look like? What did conflict look like in those relationships? How did you resolve that conflict? Were there needs of yours that you felt like weren't being met on a consistent basis? Were you able to meet your significant other's needs? Did you feel like the sacrifices you both made were healthy and balanced? Were you able to express yourself openly, honestly, and without fear of shame or retaliation? After answering these questions, think back on other important relationships that you've had in your past and see if any patterns emerge. You might consider eliciting some professional help from a therapist or psychologist. This is what we're here for. It's hard to maybe parse these things out on your own or even a trusted friend. Once we learn self-awareness, we can learn how to actually change the patterns in our relationships of the partners that we choose, the behaviors within the relationship, and even the moments when we're triggered. It's hard and it takes work, but it's absolutely doable. 
Instead of immediately reacting out of an uncomfortable sensation or a trigger by either arguing or getting defensive or stonewalling, try to take a stance of self-reflection. Recognize the trigger. Now that you've asked yourself some of these questions, you might understand it better. And make an effort to stay focused on the present moment in order to be collaborative with your partner and address the problem and rebuild an us versus the problem mentality, right? Not you versus me, but it's you and me as an us against this problem. This is how we respond instead of react. And so it's important to give yourself some space, even if it's two minutes. When you're feeling super triggered, sometimes the thing you need to do is just walk out of the room. Say, I need to go to the bathroom. Go there for five minutes. Talk to yourself. Do some deep breathing. Recognize your urge to defend, attack, to push away. Name the urge out loud to yourself. Recognize and name the feeling that you're feeling. Angry, powerless, lonely, scared, overwhelmed. Think about your own growth and what can you do in this moment to grow? What is the brave thing to do in this moment? Would you like me to read your letter? Click on the description of this video to submit your question. And this leads me to a question that I often get asked about intuition versus anxiety. And this is a struggle that a lot of people have for many different reasons. Intuition is really hard to tap into if you have an anxiety disorder or suffer from clinical anxiety or a lot of anxiety. Or, and it's also very hard if you have a history of trauma. It's also hard if you st have struggled finding your voice as an adult and if you struggled having a voice when you were a child. It makes perfect sense that this is a really hard distinction to make. So what I like to tell people is that anxiety is fear-based. It feels unbalancing and it feels overwhelming. It can look like worrying or ruminative thoughts, meaning they replay over and over again about situations that you're either dealing with or ones in the past without finding a solution. It often creates more confusion. And oftentimes it's paired with physical sensations, right? Whether it's feeling tingling in your body, feeling flushed, having a racing heart, having shallow breathing or an upset stomach. This kind of anxiety can trigger a slew of even unpleasant memories, okay? Intuition comes from that calm and centered place of knowing. It's affirming, it's in your best interest, it's often brave. It's that little voice of reason. It will bring more clarity than confusion and bring you to a conclusion or a resolution. So this stuff becomes clear as we deal with our ish, right? It becomes clear as you start stepping out and taking risks and making decisions afraid and learning how to trust yourself. Often these things or patterns can be painful, but they feel safe because they're what we know, right? And so sometimes doing the right thing for us can feel very scary. But the more we have strength and courage and actually set those boundaries, say no, do the brave thing, 
you will start to tap into that valued inner voice of intuition. I also encourage you to find those voices in your life of other people that serve as that wise voice to borrow as you start to learn your own voice. So the other thing that I want to talk about is communication and clarifying intention. I'm going to quickly talk a little bit about dating because I'm sure many of you listeners are currently single and dating, right? So there is this very weird and damaging trend in dating that is a game of who can seem like they care the least. It's a power thing. If you don't care as much about the other person, then you have the upper hand and you can't get hurt because LOL, who cares? The only problem, no one can find true happiness and connection trying to be the chill person, right? Especially in our social media saturated world with all the apps, we're trying not to get attached while we're on these apps to get attached in the first place, right? It all becomes about manipulation as opposed to connection. So vulnerability, even though it's scary, is actually one of the biggest upper hands you can have in dating and relationships and even casual situations. And we hate vulnerability because we think that we have to be perfect. I have to be perfect so that this person will like me. I have to be my best self. And even with things like Instagram and everyone looks super polished and everyone's putting their best foot forward. But the problem is, is that our best self is only a piece of the bigger picture, just like our vulnerable self in essence. And so in both scenarios, if we're only going for one or the other, we're actually not showing up authentically. And that is why this generation is struggling with connection more than any other. There's data showing that people are dealing with loneliness more than ever before. We're wrapped up in our phones, trying to be chill, swiping as fast as we can to avoid our human feelings, right? So we need a radical shift in our thinking. Being vulnerable is one of the strongest things a person can do. When you're vulnerable, you're emotionally mature. And that, my friends, is a huge selling point in relationships. Brene Brown talks a lot about this, and I love all of her stuff. To help you navigate anxiety and become more mindful, I've created a 20-page workbook for you, completely free. You'll find journal prompts, exercises, and a wealth of information on how you can master anxiety and live a better life. Click the link in the description to download. Really great, mature relationships are those built by emotionally healthy people who are willing to invest in themselves and their partners, okay? So vulnerability is powerful because it, yes, it opens up the possibility of being rejected for who you really are. But you also have the opportunity to be deeply, to be deeply understood and valued and loved for your true self. So it's important to have a mental reframe when you're hurt or doubting yourself, that if you do get rejected, that's actually a positive outcome because it means that you're not wasting your time on somebody who doesn't wanna be with you. And you actually get to focus your attention on someone who will see your value and your worth. Don't get me wrong, is it painful? Yes, absolutely. Nobody likes getting rejected and nobody likes getting ghosted and all of that stuff. Can you handle it? Yes, you can. You've probably handled it before, right? What's the alternative? You stay so defended and isolated and forever and you never get to connect with anybody. So as we push through the fear of pain and rejection, 
we actually get to step into our values and actually get to achieve what we really are looking for. It doesn't mean you have to pour your heart out and talk about the medications that you're on and what you talked about with your therapist that week. It can be as simple as saying that you like someone and that you had a really good time tonight. In casual dating, a lot of vulnerability also looks like clarifying intentions, right? As I said, I really like you. I would like to see you again. I hope you'd like to see me too. I had a great time tonight. It's also absolutely foundational for also established relationships, right? Clarifying intention and communication. And I know you guys have probably heard this a thousand times. Communication is so important for relationships, but it's most of what I talk about with my patients. Communication is one of the pillars of healthy relationships. It's the thing that gets talked about the most in couples counseling. If we don't do this in a healthy way, our relationship will most likely crumble. Why is this so hard? One reason is because the, often the only time we actually try to address issues and communicate is in the midst of conflict. This is never effective because of what conflict does to our brains. So let's talk about the brain for a second. The amygdala is sort of called our smoke detector of our brains, right? Our amygdala is at the base of our brain and it's looking out for danger to protect us. It's responsible for detecting danger, producing fear, and preparing our body for an emergency response. So as this alarm sounds, it releases a cascade of chemicals in the body that prepares you for an emergency. Stress hormones like adrenaline and cortisol, cortisol flood your system, immediately preparing us for something called fight or flight, which I'm sure many of you have heard of. When this deeply instinctive function takes over, it's what Daniel Goleman, he's a psychologist who uh, coined emotional intelligence and he wrote a book about it. He calls it the amygdala hijack. So in common psychological parlance, we've been triggered, right? We notice immediate changes in our heart rate, sweaty palms, bre our breathing becomes shallow as we try to take in more oxygen to either bolt or fight if we have to. And the flood of stress hor hormones also creates other sen sensations like a quivering in your solar plexus and limbs and a quivering in your voice maybe. We may notice heat flushes to our face. We are in the grip of a highly efficient but prehistoric set of physiological responses, okay? And this sensation is, is not pleasant. It's not meant to be, right? It's not meant to be for relaxation. It's meant to move us into action to fight. What the amygdala hijack also does is that it immediately shuts down the pathway to your prefrontal cortex, which is behind your eyes, behind your forehead. And this is why we become disoriented in heated conversations, right? Our prefrontal cortex is where we logic, where we reason, where we think about pros and cons, where complex decision-making happens. All of this disappears as does our access to multiple perspectives. This means our attention narrows and we find ourselves trapped in the perspective that makes us feel the most safe. I'm right and you are wrong. Even though ordinarily you might be able to think a little bit more broadly. 
Do you find this information helpful? Is there a certain topic you'd like us to cover? Leave us a comment and review about what you'd like to hear. And if that wasn't enough, your memory also becomes more untrustworthy. Have you ever been in a fight with someone you love and you just simply forget all the things that you actually love about them in that moment? That's because your brain drops your memory function altogether because it doesn't need it to survive threats, right? And so when our memory is compromised like this, we can't recall something from our past that actually might help us calm down in that moment. We can't remember much of anything. Instead, we're simply filled with a flashing red light that says, danger, react, danger, protect, danger, attack. So in the throes of an amygdala hijack, which often happens in conflict, we can't choose how we react because of this protective mechanism in the nervous system that's trying to keep us safe, right? So the most effective communication happens when people are feeling calm and safe. So what I often encourage people to do is have a meeting once a week a state of the union, if you will, where we can actually address things when we're both feeling good and connected. So effective communication is intentional. It's not impulsive. Being deliberate about when you have a conversation, also what you say and how you say it. Plan people. People often go into this with no rehearsal. It's important to rehearse so that you can actually say things the way that you mean them. Watching your tone and your body language is also really important. When we have communication, hard communication, the goal is understanding, not winning. It can be difficult to get caught up in who's winning this argument. As I mentioned, right? I'm right, you're wrong. But healthy fighting isn't about who's right or wrong. It's about both parties sharing their perspective to find a solution as a team. It's us together. How do you build a bridge between the two of you rather than shame the other person? John Gottman, he's one of the leading experts in modern relationships and he founded the John Gottman Institute. I think it's here in New York City. Um, and he says that the most effective ways of actually coming out of a conflict stronger than before includes what psychologists call mutual problem solving that stating the problem is our problem, acknowledging your role in the problem, asking your partner to help with our problem, generating solutions together, and then setting up a plan to actually keep these solutions going. Effective communication is not based in assumptions. It's so easy to assume what the other person is saying, especially when we've been in a relationship for a while and we feel like we know the other person. Never assume that you know what the other person is thinking. Clarify always. Healthy communication is not based in assumptions. That is something that is so easy to do, especially when we're in, our, we're in partnerships for a long time and we feel like we know the other person. Always ask for clarification and get it before you move on from the topic. Effective communication validates emotions something really, really frustrating when we feel like our partner isn't hearing us or understanding us, right? Good listeners don't just listen. 
They listen in order to understand and then validate. It doesn't mean that you agree. It doesn't mean that you excuse, but it actually helps a partner feel understood wherever they're at. One way that you can do this is reflecting back what your partner is saying to you. So what I hear you saying is this. If I understand you correctly, I think you feel this. This lets your partner know that you actually really care about the message being conveyed to you, right? And it's amazing how a situation can look completely different to do, to do different people, even in relationship. So my friends, relationships are one of the most beautiful parts of being human. They can also be the source of some of our greatest pain. And none of us come out unscathed. Romantic relationships are often mirrors to our deepest issues, which can be really scary. So taking the time to evaluate our patterns of relationship can be so valuable because it equips us with the knowledge to make changes for the better. And that introspection can also attune us to our inner voice of intuition. So can being vulnerable and showing up authentically and communicating our intentions to others. As we do scary things that are for our best, we learn to tap into that brave and sure voice. And when we found a relationship that's worth fighting for, learning those effective communication skills will maintain the fun, fulfillment, and connection we're all looking for.